Welcome to Arcade Attack. <laughs> A retro gaming podcast for up to four players. Sonic Boom! Welcome back, listeners and even viewers to the Arcade Attack podcast. We're here. I've got James with me again. Hello, James. How do? How is everyone? Yeah, everyone's good, I think. And actually, they're going to be better because we've got someone else here. And it's not Dylan or Rob. It's uh, Eric Wahlberg, a friend of the show, a friend in general, a legend. Um, He's back. He's been on a few podcasts in the past. They've been really popular. And it's a real honor again to have Eric back on the show. Hello, Eric. Yeah, yeah, thanks. uh, Welcome. I don't know. (laughs) Great start. Um, (laughs) Welcome. It's great to see you guys again. And um, I... I actually, I looked at how many videos that I've done with you guys, interviews between Sega QA and Eternal Champions. I've been in 42 podcasts with you guys. That's mad. <laughs> yes. King yeah. of the content. Dark Lab. Um, and, uh, but I do have a bone to pick with you guys. Oh. So <laughs> when I was first introduced, the very first uh, interview, you said, you know, Eric Wahlberg, Sega legend. I was like, wow, I'm a legend. So the other day I'm at... Um, Outback Steakhouse, if you heard of that place. In, in yeah, States. oh yeah. And this uh, this guy, he he was certainly English by his accent. He walks up to me, he says, "Excuse me, where's the bathroom?" And I said, "It's over there." And he goes, "Legend," and he walks away. <laughs> I was like, "Everybody's a legend in England." So yeah, what's the big deal? There's no big deal. Yeah, oh, we've no, been there busted. Is, there's <laughs> many subtle levels to the word. I'm, I'm busted. And you're sitting top of the tree. <laughs> I'm, I'm just having fun i'm just having fun so uh, yeah again it's awesome to be here so um cool uh i'm ready to chat about sega qa sega sega soft some electronic arts with uh knockout kings so it's still retro ps1 stuff uh 100%. early PS2. um but yeah i'd love to tell you guys whatever you want to hear and i have some stories loaded up I can't wait. So obviously we've got some sort of unheard of stories that we can't wait to listen to, Eric. Um, and actually our first podcast of you was just kind of whistle stop of your career. I think Michael Latham introduced us initially and, you know, we, we, we obviously have a lot of respect for that man and he might pop up in some of your stories, I, I believe. Um, before we go into that, I, I want to say thank you again uh, for giving us a shout out, giving myself a shout out. He did a recent video, uh, I think with David and our oh, minds escaped me now. There's hey, uh, a kit. Is it Kim as well? Kim Rogers. Kim, yeah. And this was taken, I believe, at a Sega reunion, which I don't know how was it was it well planned? Was it kind of a weird thing that came together? I'd love to hear maybe how that Sega reunion came about and if there's any like stories you could share about that particular Yeah. Event. Yes, it was it was amazing. So um a few of the kind of old school uh Sega people had been uh organizing it for some time. And uh, you know, I got on the kind of invite list. Um I think basically anybody that they had contact with through Facebook or other social media was, it was invited. Um, and, uh, it was a really good turnout. Um, as you saw, Tom Kalinske was there. Uh, a lot of the, you know, top marketing people were there. Um, Ed and Ziada, uh, a lot of people you've had interviewed with me, Kim, obviously, uh, David, obviously. Um, and, uh, it was super cool to see everybody. I think it was a combination of when I walk in, I see the people and they instantly like, Hey, Eric, you know, it's like, um, we all knew what we shared back in the nineties and uh, both, uh, culturally and as a kind of a video game movement and, uh, the pride we have for it. And, um, 
it was really cool. Everybody was just really happy to see each other. And people that I had, I would say grudges with, because I don't think I really had any, um, were just super friendly. Like everybody's just happy to see everybody. Yeah. And, uh, and so it was really great. Um, Tom did uh, talked a little bit. Um, and that was great, except the audio. They had one of those portable speaker things. And it was a, in a big um, uh, open area a bar. And so it was like kind of hard to hear him, which is unfortunate. But um, but he was there and he was still the same awesome, passionate guy he's always been. Um, and that was where I got to walk up to him, which is that picture that you guys saw. I said, I, please let me take a picture with you. You don't remember me because I worked for Mike Latham. I said, but you're my hero. Oh, and he's nice. like, oh, he's on me. Okay, then. Yeah, that's why you're here. Right? <laughs> and, uh, but he was very, very gracious and just the sweetest guy. And he always was. I told you before I worked uh, with him sort of at Gazillion when he was on the um, board of directors mm-hmm. uh, on the Marvel Heroes MMO game. It was about six years ago. But uh, yeah, it was, it was great seeing all those people um, checking in again with Ed, some people from Sega Soft. People I hadn't seen since I had left Sega. Some that left while I was still at Sega. So we're talking you know, 25 plus years for a lot of those people. Yeah. Uh, bless you. I bet it was a really fun and quite a meaningful event, actually. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, we, um, we may have another one. We may have another yeah. one where people really liked it. So, um, yeah, and then maybe you can somehow organize it when you guys fly over here. Come into my <laughs> Oh, oh, that, oh, that would be the dream, wouldn't it? That would be dreams the dream. come true. Was it, Eric? Just, just briefly, was was there anything kind of similar to this previously, or was this kind of like, um, like you know, the the big get together? Nothing like that had been done for a while. Well, so here's the thing: um, there had been some kind of impromptu get-togethers over the years, mm-hmm. uh, but mostly there was two or three Sega Dreamcast parties. Wow! Um, but guess what? I was already gone. So I, I wasn't interested in going to those. I knew some of those people that were there, but it was like yeah. not my not my experience. And so um, sure. this is the first time that was this the full on Sega reunion. Wow. With with again, that's why you see Kalinsky and all those guys. They wouldn't show up to the Dreamcast, like why would they, right? Uh, so no, this is the first first one. Um, and uh, it was again, I think it went really well, and people are really happy to do it. So I think we'll do it again. Um, since I have little ones, I didn't get to stay as long as I wanted, so I'm definitely interested to go back. Been there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've been there. Yeah. So it was big then. Wow, great. Yeah, amazing. Was, it was a great turnout. No oh, respect. Um, well, Eric, if you're happy, uh, I know that we you've got some amazing stories that you're happy to share to us listeners, and, and probably stories that maybe haven't been uh, shared to the public before. So we feel really honoured and. We originally were going to call it like the secrets of Sega. I don't know if it's going to sort of evolve you know, further than that, but we might go into other parts of your career. But are you happy to start to share a few stories about the, your really early days at Sega, kind of your testing days that maybe we haven't heard before? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, some of these things might be a little bit of a rehash for our old ones, so I'll try and gloss over a little bit. But, um, you know, for those people who haven't listened to the other podcast, I started uh, kind of happenstance because I was working at a grocery store that had closed down and my um, roommate who was a uh, serial slacker was always taking temp jobs and he was working as a tester at Sega because it's a temp job. And so he's like, Hey, you want to test at Sega? And I was like, okay. Um, and I have been through all the bit about kind of how I, I don't want to say I got discovered, but I have an opportunity because I bumped into Mike Latham while he was working on Turtle Champions and that led to other things for me being able to kind of get his attention and get work. Um, but some of the stuff within there that um, I, I can share that we haven't really been able to uh, is 
kind of some of the kind of crazier stuff that happened. Yeah. Um, what I'm going to try not to do throughout this whole thing is not incriminate anybody, um, <laughs> except for maybe myself, because that's the only fair way to do it, right? Um, and uh, But it's kind of funny, roll your eyes and back of your head kind of stories or just laughs. Um, we like them. So, yeah. So, uh, but, but so far as the, the early days, so um, when I first came in, I wasn't really taking it seriously. And then a couple of days in, I'm like, wow, this is really cool. The energy here and this video games and I get paid to test video games and all that stuff. Uh, and then I started getting interested and got motivated to do that. Um, but the, uh, one of the kind of semi salacious stories uh, is that um, when a tester can become permanent, that's a big deal. Okay. Because there is 200 testers, whatever it was at its height, it was a lot. And uh, most of them were temps and they would get phased out after, I don't know if it was three to six months. And, um, and then if you make permanent, then you get to stay, right? Then you can become part of that crew and you might get start to get promoted to QA lead and whatever. And so um, because of that uh, kind of competition, um, it was very hard for me to, uh, to get in. Now there was a QA manager who had a friend that was one of the testers and um, there was very few slots to make permanent. And uh, he said, I want this guy to be permanent, not Eric. And Mike Latham was like, no, I want Eric to be permanent because I don't want him to go. <clears throat> and so uh, there, were, there was a little bit of like uh, Mike kind of flexing his muscles and making it happen and giving me that opportunity. Um, in, in fairness, it is the QA manager kind of choice to a degree. Uh, but at the same time, I did feel that it was a bit of a, a nepotism. And also, again, the salacious part, I think that he saw that, oh, Mike likes Eric and and I don't want Eric to get elevated because I have other people that I want to get elevated instead. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah a little, so, bit of, little bit of politics. Or, or a little bit of politics. And then so then right after it became permanent and then uh, it was really just maybe a handful of months after that that I became a system producer. I will go back to the Sega QA part, but this all is connected. Um, there was a uh, QA person there who uh, was kind of historically kind of, um, how would I put it, um, very abrasive and mm. uh, very self-centered. And uh, when she was, oh, I said she, when that person was a lead, uh, you were like, oh no, this person's my lead QA on this. I got to like deal with this person, right? And so um, didn't want to see me succeed either. And so my first assistant producer job, um, I don't even remember what it was, but I do know that it was um, the uh, Sega CD um, RPG. Uh, my notes uh, didn't, get, didn't get a chance to load them up, but it was, um, oh, dang it. Too bad this is uh, recorded live. Otherwise I could find out what it was, but it was a Sega CD RPG. And I had made some minor mistake. My, it was something where I was interfacing with QA. And she went straight to my boss's boss to complain uh. about me. And uh, all that did, though, was bite her in the butt. Because the guy went to Mike and said, what's going on? I said, oh, no, Eric's doing great. I don't know what she's talking about. And then she ended up getting herself outed later because she continued to kind of try to put, bury people. Mm. Um I already feel like the energy of this interview is getting really weird and like, Oh, there's all these people that did bad things. Um, <laughs> but, but I have a lot of more funnier stories to tell. <laughs> so um, I'll step back. But basically my point is, sorry, uh, everybody listening is that 
when I first came in to get permanent, there was some resistance. Mike pushed it through because he's super awesome. Then when I became assistant producer, there's people that were jealous and tried to um, besmirch me early on. But again, that was kind of, you know, pushed aside. But there was there was some things, challenges that I could have easily not ever been a producer. I could have gone back mm. to work or, or, you know, had my martial arts gym or whatever it was. Um, so, yeah, so those, again, some politics and some things. And uh, it sounded more interesting to me on paper when I talked about it, but I don't like this negative energy. So, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's cool. It's cool. I think, I think the most, I, th- I think I'll be honest with you though. I think a lot of people are going to identify with what you've just said, because although it's, although it might be, you might think, hang on, I'm, you know, there's a bit of negative kind of tint on things here. I, I've got to be honest with you. I kind of experienced the same thing. I haven't been in the same industry at all, but I've, I've experienced the same kind of, um, process, you know? Um, and I, I've no doubt, I've no doubt there'll be lots of people out there listening who think, the same you know you, you get into a business and there are people who've you know who put stumbling blocks in the way whether it be purposely or not um and you kind of have to overcome things and kind of play the game a little bit so i yeah i mean i, I yeah i i wouldn't wouldn't beat yourself up too much about it because i think that's it's it's quite refreshing to hear someone like yourself say that you had those struggles because um i i think a lot of people would would think that you know the, the, that that kind of industry is like oh everyone's high fiving and wow. you know getting on great and drinking beers and all that sort of thing. But actually, it's it's the same as any kind of organization. There are people who want to see you succeed. There are people that that don't want to see you succeed. So, um, just on the game, Eric, what year was it? Because I have some up here that I might be able to. Uh, it would have been with. around ninety four or early ninety five. Uh, I've got Ve, uh, or I've got Luna, Eternal Blue. Uh, Shining Force, etc., no. uh, etc. Et that's all Sega. That's all um, Sega CD. Oh, it is. So. This was a third-party game. That was Quest Rock QA. All right. Yeah, it was this one. So my. So this is kind of fun for you guys. Is a trivia for you guys. So this is one that was very much like a tactical combat kind of thing. So it was, it was very much an RPG, but then all these units are moving around and yeah. characters too. Um, and uh, the, there was a very much a anime style art. Nice. Does it ring a bell? No, it sounds cool though. I have to say, yeah. it was very cool. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. definitely um, something you need to. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I again, I apologize for not knowing what that game was. Um, That's okay. But, That's cool. Yeah, but uh, but anyway, so here's the, the the good part, and uh, I this I used as um, the kind of the motivation for me to continue to work hard, to succeed, to prove people wrong, right? Because not only were, yes, some people maybe didn't want me to advance for kind of reasons that they want their friends to or they wanted to or whatever, <laughs> but also there are people that just didn't believe in me, right? Because I was just a, some other guy, right? And so what that made is like every time when I had opportunity, I pushed myself, I applied myself, I succeeded and allowed me to get opportunities that, you know, all the different companies that I did, all the different types of games and roles that I've had, uh, all all throughout. Because now, after thirty years, nobody could say that guy's a hack, right? That I've I've, yeah. I've proven myself to enough people. I've yeah. done enough that I've I don't have to prove it anymore. But I certainly always use that. And I've had times throughout my career where people have, uh, you know, oh that guy's getting paid too much, or uh, he, this guy should be the lead, or whatever it is. I always use those things as motivation rather than just getting upset or feeling oppressed. So that's kind of the positive spin on this is that I that's did great. take that as yeah. positive energy. 
I mean, how, how, how long, how long would you say it, because you're saying about proving yourself and obviously I'd imagine the industry is all about, you know, proving yourself, proving your worth and, and kind of making sure you're valuable in the team. At what, was there a point you kind of decided, oh, I've done enough here to kind of not have to every day get up and like, you know, try and flex my muscles. Like, was there ever a point in that, in that timeline? Yeah. Thursday. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I would say, um, probably around the time that I started working at Gazillion, mm-hmm. which was, I started working there maybe like seven and a half years ago or something. Um, I, I mean, I, I knew that I knew that I had done things. Mm. Um, and in reality, working at Gazillion, it was a new role for me. I was a content designer, which is I'm going in and using like a uh, low level code to create these missions and things, which was pretty new. Um, so I did have to work really hard at it and it was challenging for me, but at the same time, I felt a confidence and a history and, um, Something that's interesting, and you guys will co- totally understand this because this relates to anything in life. If you do something a lot, over and over and over again, your brain gets good at it. And yeah, so sure. For me, it's the creative process. Yeah. So, like, uh, whenever somebody says we need uh, a story with these characters, with these types of goals, and here's the assets you have, and here's the environments you can use, and I can do it lickety split very quickly because I've yeah those dots enough times. And I can also communicate it to the people that would want to either green light it or implement it. And so um, that I think it's the confidence is probably a better thing I would say, J- James. It's less less so much like, oh, I've I've already worked hard, mm. but more so I think that I feel more confident in my skills. That, that you have a, a kind of a uh, you've almost got like a template of a process in your head that when someone feeds you kind of we need this, you you know you know kind of where to start putting the blocks. Is that fair? Is that fair? Hundred percent. And like my current role right now, I'm at a mobile game company called Big Wolf, and mm-hmm. I'm a combination of lead designer, lead creative, producer, help get things implemented. Because you know it's a startup, and um, it's allowed me to very quickly do concepting and and, and uh, premise, plot, character development, and nuance of gameplay elements, and all these things. I just kind of put them all together. Um, not necessarily amazingly better than some other guy with my experience, but more so I could do it pretty quickly. And then I could also present a few options to the executives and not just mm. be like, here's a thing. Let's here's a, B and C. Right. Um, and so that, that takes pressure off me. I think as a, as a worker of this craft, that mm. it's a little bit easier and faster for me than it would be otherwise. And, and it's still fun, right? It's a creative process. Yeah. And, and I th- the, you, you're the experience, I suppose, delivering something to people at different levels, you know, you, you can talk to someone who's a developer, you can talk to someone who's, a, a, you know, someone who does audio, you can talk to someone who's a, a manager or producer, etc. So that's where I suppose the experience really helps out because you kind of, you know how to talk everybody's language. Yeah, you should probably do my interview because again, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but no, it's true. Sorry, no, it's, yeah, it's awesome. It's great because then it's like uh, we're reaffirming it. So as a producer, which I did for most of the time, uh, like you said, I'm interfacing with all the different, um, mm. you know, parts of the of the development process, which is like you said, music and art and QA and marketing, da da da. And so there's a combination of knowing what's important to them, how to talk to them, what they need, and how to how to connect that with the game moving forward and a process. And then also diving in as a designer later, that I also understand the designer process even more. 
And so then when I'm working with designers, I can really get in the nitty gritty and, and relate to them um, as well as learn because very important, I think, is uh, the kind of emotional uh, and mental connection that you have with the people you work with. Oh, and, uh, right. Yeah. Keep them motivated, keep yeah. them engaged, make them feel important, but honestly so, right? Not pandering. And yeah. so uh, when you show a respect and excitement, and I still get excited when an artist says, oh, here's this new um, new background, or here's the character, and, and I'll instantly say the things I love about it because there's probably something I love about it. And then we'll go into massaging what maybe needs to change, but they're receptive, right? Good. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so it's uh, it's cool. It's a, you know, it's a hard industry in that um, very few places are stable, so you're mm-hmm. always kind of moving around and then things change between the dynamics of what you do to the type of game type of company. Um, but as long as you can be flexible, um, you know, you can, it can be a really fun ride. So, yeah. Yeah. So cool. Um, is there any other Sega stories, Eric, you'd be happy to share? Yeah. So yeah. I, I had, <laughs> I had one funny one. Um, so uh, I was there for seven years. Right. And, uh, sometime within that seven years, a uh, there's many QA managers that were working during that time. So you can't tell who this person would be. Uh, this person was reprimanding one of my friends, coworkers, another tester, in in their office. Well, this is normal. I mean, you know, the, the person was doing something, screwing around, whatever it was. I don't even remember what it was, but the person was sitting in a chair behind uh, on the other side of a desk with this QA manager in their office and being reprimanded. And the person looks up, the person's wearing glasses and sees in the reflection, there's porn on their glasses from this computer screen at the same time. It's like, uh, it's one of those things where it's Uh-oh. like, yeah, like a little bit, a little bit of a hypocrite, right? A little bit. Um, but I, I, I thought that was pretty hilarious. Like, yeah, <laughs> me. I'm, I'm surfing porn. I got to deal with you kids. But uh, yeah, so that was just kind of a funny, a funny bit. Um, and then I, I noticed we told you a lot of stuff from, QA about some of our uh, kind of more um, dramatic things that happened, like when we lost one of our coworkers and yeah. things like that. Um, uh, that was uh, that was something that was um, really tough for a lot of us because a lot of us were pretty young, and so I'm sure the first time we knew anybody that got murdered. Um, but this this is again kind of that negative energy, but it's something that probably is interesting to share. The same person. Mm-hmm. Who tried to besmirch me when I became a system producer to give you an idea of what this person was like. Um, the uh, we had an announcement by uh, Steve Apor, if you know that name, he was he was QA manager uh, of Sega when I first started and he was there for a little bit, then became producer. But um, he brought us all into one of our meeting rooms and told us he had passed, and obviously, we're like, Whoa, right? And he had been missing for a few days. He borrowed um, one of my coworkers' cars and hadn't returned the car or responded. Right. And um, so we're all kind of like flabbergasted and we walk out and uh, he, but Steven said, don't worry because Sega's going to take care of all the funeral expenses and, and, and other things for the family. Right. So we walk out and this same person says out loud to one of her, one of their friends, um, Oh, I don't know why his family's getting money. He was he, you know, he barely even worked here that long. Mm. I was like, wow. <laughs> but then that's 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 true colors for you, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and 
sadly i've 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 known i've known a couple of people like that in places i've worked and it's 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 just mm. it's just ingrained in people to be yeah. kind of flippant and nasty really isn't it but yeah. you know it's terrible you know the good news is that the vast majority of people all kind of were on board so yeah yeah and so i'll, I'll take one more like thing about sega test and we we had the interview and i'm so glad thank you for doing that adrian i think it was really fun to share all these great stories um it was absolutely a fun house it was like a sitcom and sega test like we were always pranking each other we all had nicknames um we had phrases we say over and over again um it was just a blast and then whenever there was you know free pizza or any other like swag oh we have some free sega t-shirts like we all run down the hall you know it was just <laughs> aside from some of the things i had mentioned earlier that were not super positive it was it was a blast and uh i was so happy to have gone through that process and not just yeah. gone straight to production um and I made many friends are still my friends today, as you know, right. That you guys know through Facebook or. Yeah. So yeah. So Sega test was awesome. Um, those are my stories for that. Um, I have uh, uh, some Mike stories, but mine are actually kind of um, kind of general, but some specific, but I want to speak to him as a person. Yeah. I think it's super important because there's been a couple of times people have done interviews and they haven't spoken really highly of Mike. And um, I want to say what I said before, which was he's a great person. He had a good heart. He worked so hard. He cared so much about the products he was making, about the customers enjoying the products. Uh, he worked. He wanted everyone on our team to succeed, all those things. But that's not the good part that I want to share about him mm. is that he is someone who would always extend himself to his friends, people that were of, of value in his life. Amazing. More so. So, um not only like every time we went out, he'd say, we're all going to go see a movie. We're going to have dinner. We're going to do this, whatever. It would always be like, whatever you want, I'll pay for it. And it was like, not even a question. Uh, when we would go on trips, same thing. Now, yes, sometimes he would be billing to Sega, but a lot of the times he was not. And uh, this is all. Of his, and, and I know firsthand that rest in peace. When he passed on, he wasn't particularly rich. And so it wasn't like he had so much money. He's just throwing yeah. it around. It was because he was a generous person. Yeah, and, amazing. Uh, yeah, that's a really good character trait. There was a friend of mine. Um, he was actually my best friend for about six years. Uh, and I met him at Sega. His name is Harry Chavez. I'd mentioned him before. And um, he knew Mike really well because of the three of us and Eternal Champions and things. And um, he had uh, – Harry Chavez had moved to Las Vegas – uh, which is, as you probably know, if you're a person who has any issues in your life, addiction or any other issues, that's not the best place to go. <laughs> uh, and he, Harry did have some challenges. And so Harry wasn't doing really great. And um, I don't know exactly why Mike was there, but Mike was was there probably for a show or something. But um, he met Chavez. He gave him a full big dinner. Um, and he was really supportive of him, I think, also emotionally. And this is mentioned by one of my friends. So I found out about this later. Um, but that's just the type of guy he was. He, and he obviously didn't tell anybody. It's like, he's like, Oh yeah, I took Harry out and did these things. Um, but he, he is someone who, if you're his friend, if you're someone who's his ally, uh, and he values you, he will do anything for you. And, uh, and I felt that. And, and again, um, I would not have been a producer if it wasn't for him. I would have been all like all the other Sega testers trying to climb my way up to try and get a spot. Um, and I will forever thank him for that. Um, I do have one funny story about him, though. So, so when we were working on Eternal Champions, 
um, uh, Carrie Chavez again and I, we were working, this is the first one for the Genesis version. Uh, we were working so many hours. Uh, and, you know, because we're young, we survived. But I, I even remember, for example, that that we get a phone call because we literally, the programmer would just give us a phone call if you found a bug or a QA sent a bug in the middle of the night. And so we we, we get home at like, you know, 12 at night or something. And all of a sudden, at like three o'clock in the morning, you get a phone call. And and no, probably, uh, Harry had this funny voice. He had a very like raspy kind of cool voice. And, and the phone ring and he goes, Wahlberg, no, like that. Like we were just, <laughs> we were just in pain, right? It's like, and so what I'm getting at with this story is that we were punchy. We were like, we were like, screw it at this point. We were working hard, but we were like, just, uh, you know, there was no filter and we were just like, all we cared about was getting the job done and surviving and eating steak because we got to eat for free. So it was always steak all the time. But, Good choice. but, but um, one of the mornings Mike was in, cause he would come probably every couple of weeks or something, sometimes more often, depending on where we were in the development of the game. And he came in and, um, Traditionally, because it's Mike, and at that point, Harry and I were fairly new to knowing him. Usually, you don't like give uh, Mike the business in a fighting game, especially Toronto Champions, because you know it's his baby. He's the boss, all this stuff, right? So he came in. We're both super tired, and we're like, okay, let's play, you know, because we also like to play the game, which is weird that we still like to play even though we're testing all the time. Um, so he played against us, and both uh, Harry and I, we just creamed him, we destroyed him. And uh, with like no mercy, and we're <laughs> and here's the funny part: he was laughing too because I think he loved the fact that it was like unbridled. Like we don't care if you're the executive producer; we're going to not hold him back. He was laughing. He, he laughed and he, and he fell off the bed. Like it was, he was laughing so hard that he fell off the bed. And just, I still remember that moment of him falling off the bed laughing, and just what a joyous, cool time that was. And so, um, to a lot of people, it might not be okay. You beat him and he fell off the bed, but. You know Mike and uh, those dynamics. It was really funny uh, to see him kind of more vulnerable and just laughing, and us not giving a, a, a f about it, and you know going for it. So, um, but yeah, the, that's kind of my Mike stories. And then I have one more, which is where he ruined my dinner. <laughs> so I talk about all these great things he's done. So we're working at the headquarters in uh, Redwood City, and um, we're working really late. And he'd always like, "What do you guys want for dinner?" Right. He'd, took us up and then um, it'd be the delivery service. And so whatever you want. And so I got some steak, whatever. So we get our meals and we're all tired. We're all kind of grumpy. He's, he's grumpy. Uh, and he, we're all sitting around. He opens up his dinner and he's like, I didn't order this. Right. And he takes it and he just dumps it in the garbage. Right. And then, and, and then we're looking, I'm like, where's my dinner? Uh Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's the wrong one. <laughs> threw it in the trash. <laughs> oh, awesome. It was the best moment. That uh, and and literally, like I think I had basically a little bit of leftovers from everybody else because it was like ten at night at that point. So I couldn't like, <laughs> get dinner. But it's pretty funny. It's funny. He's so pissed off. I'm like, you just threw my dinner away, Mike. It's <laughs> funny. But yeah, but oh, you know, again, I just want to clear that one more time. As someone who knew him clo- closely, worked with yeah. him for years. We're not perfect. Who is right? Nobody's freaking perfect. No, definitely um, no. Yeah, and he was type A, right? He was driven, um, and I'm sure he's made mistakes. We all have, but uh, man, he's he was a good person, and I'm so happy I worked for him. And I want to make sure everybody knows that he was a good guy. 
Yeah, and it, it was always good for us for Arcade Attack. He was always uh, answering questions and gave some great interviews. And oh, I miss him. I know the team miss him a lot. And yeah. I never had yeah. the I never had the pleasure. But um, I mean, I, yeah. you know, I've I've got I've formed a, an opinion on sort of all the, the the kind of stories I've heard and stuff like that. And the the most yeah. I suppose the thing that sticks out for me is is the way people say kind of how inclusive he was of everybody. You know, and that's that's rare. That that's very very rare for someone to be kind of that generous and that kind of um, always extending that olive branch to to everybody. Yeah. Um, that's you know that takes a lot of work as a person um, mm-hmm. to do that, and it's it takes a lot of energy and a lot of it takes a lot out of you. It really does. But yeah. I mean, that's that that's the thing which stands out for me that, that I hear so much is that he was you know doesn't matter who you were, whatever he'd always had time for you. And he always kind of extended that olive branch and kind of gave you gave you a shot. So, you know, I never had the pleasure of, of talking talking to him, but um, you know, which is a shame. But uh, yeah, sounds like an amazing guy. Yeah, yeah. No, he he was, and that's quite accurate. Bless you. I know we we miss cool. him. Um, thank you, Eric. I mean, that's quite a personal few stories, and we really, really appreciate you sharing those. I'm sure our sure. listeners. Really yeah, great stuff. Um, is there any other? Oh, just man. Any other crazy stories? Of the yeah, keep them going. This is great. I'm loving this. Oh, so I have two more that are even funnier and weirder. And <laughs> scarier. So uh, I'm going to tell you first uh, about the time I was assaulted by a French mm. stripper. <laughs> now, there's not many times you hear someone say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, if you guys if you guys do uh, do arcade shorts, you guys can like... <laughs> To that clip. I'll tell you about the time I said, watch this podcast. You hear about the story. So essentially, <laughs> um, another way that Mike was awesome was when we would go on our trips to the UK or related places, he would always turn it into um, some kind of holiday, right? And so um, one time in particular, uh, it was a big, long uh, adventure where we went to um, England and we took the channel to France, went to Amsterdam went to uh russia um and uh, yeah yeah and um and the whole the whole time was a combination of a lot of work and some great sightseeing and other things and so when we're in france uh mike says hey you guys want to do a sex tour right and so it, it sounds you know more like fancy than it but basically you go to a couple strip bars and some other show um and uh, but you're it's by some company who, of course, is being paid to bring you to these certain places. Mm. And so one of the strip clubs went into it was the the saddest kind of like creepiest strip club I've ever been to. And I've been to many hundreds. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but Connoisseur in, of strip clubs. Thousands. <laughs> so um, walked in and none of the people were interested in me, these women, um, but it was my friends anyway. So the energy is kind of a little bit, you know, like just kind of have a good time. So we sat down, but you really have to sit down in this kind of circular kind of seating arrangement mm-hmm. right by a stripper. Right. And so basically they're kind of like assigned to a group of seats. Right. Okay. And so, uh, you know, one come out and I still remember there's this one lady and I don't want to talk about the physicalities of it. Cause that's not nice, but she wasn't, uh, pleasing, but she she had this weird thing where she was kind of doing something, and then she go bah! like I was like it was almost like I like huh? like she's catching casting some kind of spell or something, right? But, <laughs> uh, but then she she leave, and then some other one comes out, and she's really not my type, like really was not interested, right? But she was super aggressive, 
and she would want to like either get tips or whatever. And so she just got in, in, in our face and she literally turned, turned towards me with her large size rump and was just like bashing me in the head with it. Like, <laughs> trying, to, like, trying to like entertain me. And I'm literally oh, like, bashed like that. And Mike and man, if, Mike, or I forget some of the guys that were there, they could tell you they were just laughing their laughing. <laughs> yeah, so that, that was a thing that happened. Um, so that, that's my story about getting assaulted. <laughs> and then uh, the other story about Sega, because I know uh, we usually like, keep these about an hour, right? About an hour, more or less. Yeah, an hour's a good time. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah cool. And um, so uh, the other one, I'm going to tell you about a time I almost got murdered Ooh. for real. James doesn't know this one. Badrian does. Yeah, I think Badrian knows, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, uh, I'm going to take some responsibility for being a part of a process of things that happen. Um, and I'm not going to name. It was some time between when I first became a producer of Sega and when I ended my time at Sega Soft. So, I'm not going to say any names, obviously. <laughs> um, so, what happened was one of my coworkers, another pr- uh, producer, um, had gone to Japan to get some, uh, well, for work for Sega, but then also made some purchases for another person and came back and said, okay, here's the toys I gave you. Um, uh, Here's how much it is. And basically what happened was the person accused that producer of trying to screw him over for the cost. And he was really getting in his face, like aggressively so. Now this producer that was being uh, verbally assaulted was one of the sweetest, gentlest, most subdued kind of guys. So you mm-hmm. knew that like it's easy to push him around. He's not going to stand up for himself. Mm-hmm. And my kind of, um, uh, I, I don't know what instincts they would be, whether it just be my protective kind of side of me or whatever, um, not anti-bullying kind of thing. Um, so I walked up and stood outside the cube, and I saw this happening. And um, the guy turned to me. He goes, "What do you?" He goes, "What?" The guy's being aggressive. Yeah. And I said something now I shouldn't have that was basically telling him that he was uh, a dysfunctional, you know, aggressive boss. Mm, so whatever yeah. I was trying to basically divert that energy to me. Right. Because I was like, stop picking on him. Now deal with me. That was basically yeah. what I was trying to do. Guy comes right up to me. I'm not afraid of you, Wahlberg. Right. And so, because this is, you know, people know I did martial arts and whatever else. Um, probably because I would walk around in a gi all day with my black belt. No, but, um, <laughs> but, but the, he, he, uh, you know, things got kind of tense. Right. Mm. And, um, and then he says some things. I said some things. I never physically touched him. He didn't either, but he was right in my face. Mm. And then um, Joyce Sakakura, who for the entire time I was there was uh, admin for Mike Latham. Wonderful, sweet, also very maternal, badass admin she's wonderful she came in and broke it up and then i was like okay it's over right it's over so years later uh one of my co-workers who's a friend with this guy the aggressive guy mm. he says oh yeah you know what i don't know if i ever told you but after you had that spat with this person um you brought a gun to work for the next week oh, no so what he brought a gun to work and this uh, this person had um, never been arrested for any violence before. However, he, he had been, you know, arrested for other things. And so he wasn't like, you know, just a super goody two shoes. 
So yeah, if, if anything would have happened, if there would have been some new argument, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, new, some new verbals back and forth, it could have been guy goes into office, comes out with gun. And then Eric is not doing this interview with you guys. So yeah, here's the funniest part of it all. Here's the funniest part of it all. Um, that guy contacted me years later wow. to come contract with a company he was working with to do some design work. <laughs> so I, I guess I was going to kill you a decade ago, but I could use a designer. You want, and I, I, I need something. No, I need you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had just, you know, I had the time I came and worked with him was before I knew what happened. But, yeah. but I, I got the energy from them. He, he probably completely forgot it. But I don't know how you could forget bringing a gun to work. <laughs> right? That's so, mad. <laughs> yeah, isn't that crazy? Um, and I checked our HR handbook. That is not allowed. You're not Good. allowed to bring guns to work. No. Yeah. That's... <laughs> I mean... I don't know. Where, where do you start <laughs> with something like that? I mean... The, the, so how many, how many years after did you find out that he brought a gun? Probably about, I want to say maybe five to 10 years later. Um, I mean, but that still must have like, your heart must have sank. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, mean, I get that you've yeah. kind of like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of change that's happened in that, that yeah. period. And, you know, okay, time, you know, yeah. heals to a degree, but there must have been a part of you that was like, damn, I, I may not have been in now. Well, here's, here, I think here's the thing is that this person had, did have an erratic personality. So I think I wasn't surprised. Yeah. Okay. But that was the biggest part. I mean, obviously, bringing a gun to work is a big deal, but um, because of the person's personality and the fact that we almost came to blows, and he's like, "Yeah, I don't want to punch it out with this guy, so I'll just bring a gun." Uh, that I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah." So, um, yeah, it's it's just a trip. What it what it did do is it reminded me what I've lived most of my life doing is don't get aggressive with people mm. try and find the way to, 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 to nullify an aggressive situation as long as people can be safe. Right. Um, and what I teach yeah. in my defense classes, I say, if you are going to ever have to fight anybody, uh, granted there's some legal implications, um, be cool. And then just, just attack. Like you don't want to, you don't want to elevate issues. You want to, you want to nullify it. My back's to the wall. Okay. I'm just going to fight you. Cause I have no choice now. Um, but in his case, I, I could have done it way better. I was young. I was in my 20s still. Yeah, yeah. Um, I certainly would not have done the same thing now. I would have basically just said, hey, uh, to this person who was being verbally accosted, say, hey, you're right. I would have I would have talked to him. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then, yeah. And then stayed there and then gone to HR. Um, also, the thing <laughs> is, HR in the 90s, almost anywhere in the United States was a little bit kind of, unless you're like a super big company, Sega was big, but they were newly big um there was a lot of inappropriate things that would happen all the time that nowadays you're just fired you would be like instantly fired yeah yeah i, pro I probably would have been fired just for that verbal obligation like we both would have yeah. um so yeah but it's uh it's a, it's crazy it's crazy right right it's uh um but that's my that's my super crazy story that you can you can <laughs> plug you know whatever you want to i mean the, oh my god i mean hindsight's 2020 isn't it you can sit there and say oh well you know i, I would have done this different I, everyone can do that for things <laughs> during their lives but i mean it's worth saying though that any that there's going to be a difference in reaction here because obviously the reason we're reacting and going oh my god is because in obviously in the uk for uk listeners like bringing a gun to work is like 
that never happens. It doesn't yeah. happen over here. Yeah, obviously, with, you yeah. know, it, with you know, over in the US, I think that, that there may be a slightly different opinion, but that's why we're reacting the way we are, is yeah. because yeah. you just don't, you, know, you don't just have guns. You know, I, so. I think even if you're from Oklahoma, it's still like not cool to bring a gun to work. Oh, I think um, fair, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, it's certainly in that environment, right? So, no, yeah. you're right. Yeah, I think I think only because I've known this story now for, geez, I don't know, 15, 20 years at this point. Um, so. Uh, but yeah, it's it's crazy. But I, I'm not right now. Yeah, just because it's like now we've done other interviews. Let me tell you something crazy that happened at Sega. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not. It was one of those places where not, we don't know because I'm not going to see what that was. Um, but yeah, so that that was a real thing that happened. Um, That's incredible. Are you wearing a bulletproof vest at the moment, Eric? <laughs> yeah, no. I just try to be nice. <laughs> I work from home, so <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's that's it. But um, yeah, other Sega stuff. I mean, we talked about a lot of other stuff, um, and then I could probably talk. Let's see. Um, I think there's something else I was going to mention about Sega Soft. I mean, it's been amazing so far. I mean, this, I want to, these um, stories are great. Yeah, right, while I remember, actually, Eric, thank you because you gave me a good text interview for netfighter at segasoft and that actually got published in retro game magazine which is quite quite a big magazine this neck of the woods and uh it was very well uh you know people really enjoyed it so thank you again that that's was... a really really interesting time of sega isn't it segasoft it's slightly detached but what a bizarre yeah. crazy yeah. period yeah well so to speak to that yes i'm so glad what's so wonderful about what i did is that I know you guys, I've met you guys. We've done all these cool interviews, told the stories that, you know, and again, I mentioned this when we first did the interview, but um, unless you decide to delete everything, these would be things people might listen to 20, 30 years from now. Yeah. We hope so. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. We've no doubt. Yeah. And so um, it's, it's really cool that we can connect and share. Even I can go, Oh, I'm going to tell you about Netfire from Segasoft. And here's this probably, very vaguely known game, yeah, right? Yeah. Because of all those dynamics of being exclusive to the platform and he never really got, you know, a lot of momentum and uh, the game, you know, came out maybe like a year and a half before the company closed down, like all those kind of elements that happened. Yeah. Um, but it was great. It was awesome to honor to be in that. Um, I definitely showed it off as you saw on, on Facebook, um, <laughs> bought, bought more than one copy. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was awesome to do that. So thank you back. Uh, super cool collaboration. Yeah. Thank you, Eric. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've got a few questions, uh, if you're happy to answer. We, we, we chucked sure. a few on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got one here from uh, the Wizard. It's called At That Wizard Pod, and they're called Kidnapped by Wizards. <laughs> they just want to know, um, wizards. Was, was the Mega Drive sound chip really as bad as the detractors say? Because some of the music from that console absolutely shreds. Um, he also asked, "What's your favorite, or who's your favorite Sega wizard or magical practitioner?" So I'm not sure there's any real wizards at Sega, but maybe yeah. you can answer both those questions. Does uh, is he only talking about music, or are you not sure? Uh, I, good question. I, I think that's separate questions. So, so what do you okay. think about the music first? I mean, the, yeah. the, the SNES notoriously had a great sound chip. What do you reckon yeah. about the Mega Drive? Mm-hmm. So you know, not being a sound engineer myself. Um, what I can tell you is that the guy answered the question himself, poor gal, is that um, the the engineer, if they knew how to leverage the sounds and music that the chip could make, they could make good music. They make cool music. Like uh, I love the Sega CD music, but this uh, of Eternal Champions. 
but the Sega music for Eternal Champions is also really catchy, right? Mm, it was yeah, varied yeah. and, and yeah, uh, robust. Yeah. And so, um, you know, the what I think it comes down to how difficult was it to maybe make good music or sounds. Um, and it may have been a little harder. It's quite possible. Um, I didn't work with any engineers ever complained about it. And I never worked on a game that had really crappy music or sounds. I mean, if they did, maybe a few or maybe just a bad developer overall or whatever it was. So I would say it was probably more complicated or difficult to make good music on the Genesis, but it certainly could. And it has. Yeah. Um, it absolutely shreds, actually. So, um, uh, so far as favorite Sega Wizard. So, I mean, if we talk about like game makers or, yeah. so, so, I mean, I'm a fan of Ed Anunziata, right? I, like, I, I just actually just talked to him last week. Um, and, uh, you know, as you know, I briefly worked with him at Gazillion. Um, and then of course I knew him for quite a while at Sega. Um, still the same guy, brilliant. Always like, he's always like, Oh, what if, what if and this thing? And oh, he's so into it. He's like, uh, He's like this, um, I don't know how to put it. He's literally like a wizard, right? Like a like a, a wild wizard of thinking of all these ideas all the time. Um, but there's a whole there's a whole slew of them. I mean, obviously Mike. Um, and uh, trying to think. Um, I mean, we're talking, you know, kind of mostly game designery people, I would think. You know, we had some really good development teams, mm-hmm. right? Like uh, I think Sega Interactive, who did... Um, you know, the eternal games, um, they were quite talented and worked really, really hard. Um, and gave us a really robust, uh, game. Uh, it did some great art for like Garfield, uh, really good art. Yeah, I think yeah. the gameplay stuff was not necessarily their fault. It comes down to some game design and implementation issues. Um, but, um, I mean, Mike's my number one guy there for all the reasons I mentioned. Um, yeah. I have great coworkers, right? Like David Gray, brilliant he is executive producer at zynga and he deserves it um very smart helped me out so much so i have people that helped me um there was uh there were, okay so here's a random thing i'll mention so um you guys are familiar with conan the barbarian yes mm-hmm. yes so, big fan of the films yeah yeah so marvel had the uh the rights to him starting i think around 1970 maybe and they had the rights all the way through like the late 90s or something one of the guys was John Buscemi who did it and a couple other different artists, but one of them is Ernie Chan. And uh, he's one of the better known, maybe the top three of the guys that did that. And he did it for probably like a decade or something. He became uh, a art resource on this um, team separate from, but adjacent to our team at Sega. So I got to meet Ernie Chan. Um, he was the sweetest, most uh, unassuming guy you'd meet. And, uh, and I worked with him a few times on some game concepts and I still have some art. I wonder if I should have brought it, um, maybe for my next interview, I'll bring it out, but he did uh, a really beautiful, uh, picture of a game concept that I had, um, in very much his style. One of the characters was a barbarian, like, yeah, it's Conan. Um, so he was somebody that I, I thought was just awesome. I didn't even know who he was until I saw the character. I said, that looks a lot like Conan. <laughs> who did that? Ernie Chan. I went down. I met him, and he was. And unfortunately, the guy passed away like maybe eight or nine years ago from right. cancer. Oh. But um, but man, what a sweet guy! Great impression on me. So that's I think the one um kind of nugget to take out of that question. 
Oh, fair. No, great little nice. story there. Um, I've got someone here called Gerhout Wolfman, and he's actually got five questions, <laughs> Eric. He's, he's, <laughs> oh, man. he's desperate for go. you to answer. I'll be fast, then. So, does he... So, Eric, do you think that the 1990s gameplay was better than today? So, and there's a few elements that come out that make it better or not. Um, one thing that definitely can be the not part is a lot of games are tied into microtransactions and life services and all these other things. And say so they, they completely rip away all the fun because you're trying to get your money. Um, yeah. But a lot of games are not doing that. Um, the other thing that I think the key thing is the difficulty is that uh, probably as early as maybe the early 2000s uh, to late 90s, a lot of games would, you die and you just kind of continue. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. your last checkpoint and you just continue. Um, and even then the games weren't super hard. And so you could usually, if you're just tenacious, you could just finish a game, which is okay, which is probably what the masses need. But because in the nineties, they were still carrying more to gamers. Yeah. And so you, well, here's a, here's a common phrase you guys probably also said, uh, in the UK, which was, uh, Hey, do you beat that game yet? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You don't say that now. Like you, you will say, "Oh, did you finish it?" You'll say, "Did you did, did you, you did you finish the campaign, or did you yeah. finish the story, or did you?" Yeah, exactly. It's not the same. It's yeah. just not the same. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there was um, also, I think, even it's it's hit and miss. So I think development teams in the early two thousands, uh, there was a lot of floundering. Like they're still kind of figuring their way. And there's a lot of like, "Hey, it's a flashy game with a cool license and crap gameplay." And there's a lot of those things that would happen just because of the dynamics of a lot of things. And then for whatever reason, either just some good development houses or good groups of people start to get together, people that were seasoned enough, almost like in the movies. And you have like these really good teams like, you know, Fraxis and 2K and all these other, like all these different companies that are really strong and they make excellent games. Like I'm currently, I'm in love with the game called Midnight Suns. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right. So so it's by Fraxis that did XCOM 2 and um, it's, it's, Marvel license, it's RPG, it's card battle game, it's elegant, it's if you love Marvel at all, you will love it. It's a great game. And so in that way, no, they're not better. I mean, the 90s were not better, but um they were different. And for a lot of games, the gameplay was supreme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right in the 90s. Like, Agreed. Yeah. So, Agreed. so I said I would make a short answer. I could not stop talking. <laughs> um, I didn't have any Red Bull either. Um, so yeah, so basically, I would say that uh, in a lot of ways, yes, but in some ways, there's some fantastic games that are out nowadays. Fair days. The second question might overlap a little bit, but what do you most miss about the '90s gaming era? Let's see. I think the biggest thing was um, you would have it in a package. It'd have a manual. Oh yeah. Um, and oh, we say this all the time. Literally, we say this every yeah, time. Dude. I'll work on my English accent and just join you guys for your show. (laughs) So then um, I think that, and then the fact that the game doesn't change, the game is the game. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like no no updates or DLCs. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, I mean, granted a lot of us do, Oh, there's a new DLC for the Witcher. I'm excited. Right. But at the same time, when you have the, this is the game you're going to experience this game. And uh, especially when it was co-op, because then you could share it with a friend. Yeah. Or sometimes you play against them, but I, I like co-op games a lot. And my friend Harry, the one I'd mentioned, we'd play every co-op game we could find that were any good. And so like Zombies Ate My Neighbors, yeah. and, uh, I think it was called Soldier of Fortune. 
Is mm-hmm. it Bennett Brothers? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, all those. Uh, so I miss all that stuff. And, um, and you know, you can look back at it now so far as call me graphics and things go like, eh, eh, eh. But back then, that was the apex. That was yep. what you had. And that's why we liked crappy movies in the 70s that had okay, you know, uh, graphics. So. Yeah, Amazing. that good answer. Um, the, the next question is: The Sega Mega Drive obviously is the greatest games library, or has the greatest games library on any system. What to him makes it so special? In a nutshell, why is the Genesis slash Mega Drive such a special console? Man, I mean, I think um, it almost seemed like the underdog console. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, you know, against Nintendo, and it was had this wonderful sounds. I still remember; I can still think of them in my head without playing a lot of these games. Um, and it just, it's instant nostalgia and um, so many games I'd finished and I just felt satisfied and like my life had been enhanced somehow. Yeah, good answer. Yeah, we, we have many good memories of the Mega Drive, 100%. It was cool. It, was it still cool. is. It was, I would say, cooler than the SNES. Yeah. Know, the SNES no, no. console, Eric. I, um, Let's but, just you say know. it. Let's just say <laughs> it. It was so cool and it was like a little bit more kind of well, gritty and mature and just. Full disclosure. Full disclosure, some of your viewers are going to hate me, is I was always turned off by super cute looking games. Mm. Um, I would play some, but like there's many Mario games I have not played because it's just too cute. Yeah. As awesome as these games are. I have to um, say the same. I've only played one Zelda. And and so, yeah, like I said. <laughs> right, Adrian's, Adrian's leaving the interview. That's I it. Told you, I told you I get in trouble. <laughs> um, what's funny is, Zelda's not cute anymore. Like Zelda looks cool now. Mm. But I just I'm doing other I'm playing other games now. So it's kind of like, ah, you know. Um, but um, but anyway, um, yeah, I think that I love the fact that Sega they purposefully marketed and tried to make games that were more yeah. mature yeah. audience, more edgy, cooler. They, and, so, and they were cool. That was yeah. that's the, that's the oh, definitely just thinking about the library. There's just so many yeah. great, cool that you've just really wanted to get into and play. And, ah, yeah, yeah great memories. Yeah. Um, Star, he was a big, he's a big fan of Rystar, a uh, good old Gerholt is. And he says, uh, he personally thinks Rystar should have much more outings, more sequels. Do you think, Eric, that there's room for a new Rystar rebirth, a remaster, or even a Talking of cute games. Game? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, so that was a cool game, though. Like, it was something about it that was so pleasant to play. Yeah. You know, I think, I don't... There was something that I mean, you know, so something I found out actually within the last few years that I didn't know was a lot of Japanese games, they weren't like developers get together, they work really hard for a year and a half and they ship it. Quite often, a lot of these games were like iterated for years for different mm-hmm. and different things. And uh, Rystar, for example, I don't know, I'm just kind of making this up, but it very well may have had like an engine and a gameplay and other things with kind of agnostic unspecific kind of art and theme and they eventually kind of molded into this game and then added all the personality and animations you'd want um because underlying when you have a game that looks great and has a cool kind of theme to it but has such solid gameplay and good game design mm-hmm. and experience user experience right just like you know moving and stopping like how it feels and looks and and all those things so um i would say that yeah absolutely there's room for it uh, the problem is, like Gunstar Heroes, it's kind of not really a well-known game. No, yeah. Um, but it's cool. And if somebody, some company wanted to step up uh, and properly market it, I think, yeah, especially market it towards 
the people that like the retro games is that we know they're back, right? Like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle game and yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wish 4 and, you know, Wish all the so, yeah, I think I'd, I'd love to see it. Um, the final question, if you think you're in trouble early, Eric, now you're going to get really into trouble because... Don't, don't, don't know. Here's a big one. <laughs> what Nintendo games does Eric hate or think mm. are overrated? You've kind of touched mm. briefly on that. I wouldn't say you hate yeah. Mario necessarily, but... Yeah, no, I, so, I mean... Okay, so the one I think to me that's overrated, and I, I what's funny is I've probably played it the most of a lot of the Nintendo games I've played, is Mario Kart. Wow. It's fun, but it's kind of repetitive and simple to me. Like, yeah, like good. I'm on the same kind of lines. Yeah. I, 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 mean, I, I, I hate to admit it, but because I know there's I know there's a couple of a couple of guys in the AA crew that love it. I do like I do like some Mario Karts, I'm not gonna including lie. Including you. But yeah. But SNES is okay. So no, I was just gonna say maybe I didn't catch it at the right time. Maybe, you know. Yeah, yeah. I was and, in, the, in the wave. Yeah, and uh, but I will say on the plus side is the games that I've loved the most of SNES were um, was that me? I hear, I hear static. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what fine it is. Okay. Actually, this is. Um, so um, uh, is so many of their uh, RPGs, right? There's so which, many good SNES RPGs. Which you like? Yeah, these ones you like, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and actually, like um, the the like you know. Fantasy Star or something like that. Chrono um, Trigger. Chrono Trigger. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So there's a lot of really good, you know, games in there. I mean, there. I, I mean, really, it was Sega Nintendo for so many years, and it wasn't just all Sega. I mean, so. But yeah, Mario Kart is my overrated game. Fair enough. Um, Random question, but when did you have like a SNES in the in the Sega offices, like to compare and not to enjoy necessarily, but to almost used as sort of uh, what's the latest games up to? Yeah, so we we certainly would uh, buy and play competitive product when they would come out, yeah. um, particularly in the production teams. Um, and then on the QA side, like they're all gamers, so they a lot of them would have those games too. But um, yeah, I think uh, I'm trying to remember, like when I go like to EA or something, there would be like a room where you have like all the systems and you can go in and you know because it's EA, right? But um, we would have like somebody's office would have like you know the SNES or the PlayStation one or something like that. And then, um, and then, and then occasionally if you're a big wig producer, you get your own, right. You know, I need a PlayStation. I know there's one down the hall, but I want one for me. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So uh, yeah, we certainly had those things and, you know, we played them. I mean, uh, I did a um, kind of a presentation of resident evil uh, two uh, to like our staff. Wow. Cause we used to do our production teams would take turns presenting a game we would videotape and talk about the games kind of here's what's cool about it here's the game because you have marketing folk and other people that aren't playing the games or don't know yeah um, sure and uh so yeah i mean certainly a lot of great playstation one games as we all know yeah i fair dues um we've got a couple of facebook questions and you've seen these actually eric and maybe you can describe it better than me but tony tony maddie has uh shared a picture a blue screen with lots of net and letters and numbers it looks it's pretty crazy, really. And he says, what is this blue screen that, that sometimes appears when uh, certain games might crash? I don't know if, uh, yeah. if, if you recognize that particular screen, maybe you can sort of explain to our listeners. Yeah, so it's it's secret code by time travelers from the future. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, so um, most probably, by looking at it, it's kind of like a, a dev mode because when you're making a game, 
um, you're going to have certain things uh, turned on that will then, okay, if there's a crash or they might even see during the game, all kinds of different data hmm. frame rate and, yeah. you know, what things being engaged at the time. And so, you know, when there's a crash or an issue, Oh, it's this thing. So what that looks to me, cause it looks like what's called an address checker that we had in QA, which was this monster you would put into the console and it had all these lights on it. And yeah. then um, it would have all these numbers. And so whenever it crashed, you could write, you'd write down all those numbers and so it looked very similar, where it's just like the matrix, right? Like a bunch of crap. So that's probably what it was. And some developer didn't turn it off, you know, and it would only come when it crashed. Yeah. And as we know, another reason why 90s games were better is you could not ship a crap game that crashed all the time and get away with it. No. You yeah. could not do had, that. Yeah, it had to be playable and, yeah. 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 <laughs> Whereas, yeah, I suppose they ship them now, and it's just like, oh, we'll I mean, not, not mentioning yeah. any names, but Cyberpunk. Um, but, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, ship it half-cooked, and then, and then uh, you know, patch it later. No, you couldn't get away with that, no. Yeah, worse. We've got a question from Matt Dawson, um, a good friend of the show, actually, nice guy. Was it difficult moving from the development of a 2D fighter, such as Eternal Champions, to sort of 3D fighting games. So you mentioned Virtual Fighter, but right. I know you've worked in other 3D fighting games as well. Was that quite a big step? So I think in a lot of ways, the 2D games were harder. Wow. Because the minutia of the frames, uh, hit frames, reaction frames to hits, working combos together, um, the 2D fighting games by their nature would move faster. And so you'd be like, you know, deep, heavy kick into jab, into dragon uppercut, you know, into um, tornado kick, whatever. And those things would all happen in a matter of like two and a half seconds or something. Yeah, right? yeah. And all those things tie in all those elements. And I remember both even when I was the game balancer for the Genesis version, we were working on all those frames of like the collision boxes and how long someone's in a hit reaction for this hit and making sure that a person doesn't get pushed away too much so they can continue their combo. There's all these things going on. There's different terminologies now. When we were doing it, um, you know, we were scrappy. Like a lot of these guys, like, you know, who are the tech and, you know, Capcom and all, and, and, and uh, all these companies that are working on fighting us for years, they, they have their systems and their terminologies and everything's locked down. And we were kind of, discovering it as we made it also mike did a very deep game design okay correct him um and then we had to then as you start to implement it find all these details so that versus 3d 3d has its own things it still has all those elements but things are a little slower going and so combos especially are not the same you're not going to be like bang 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 um that being said virtual fighter and all these other games that i worked on i was mostly going to was the shepherd for those games but uh, knockout kings which is a 3d fighting game just you know kick people uh, is that um that was very much um a game that had combos in it and it had some rules to it but they weren't that difficult to kind of set up and implement um uh, in, as opposed to the details and the minutiae of the 2d yeah. um you might get a different answer from some 3d folk especially the ones that make the really good 3d games they may say well here's these other things they're actually mm. and you know uh, knockout kings 2000 versus tekken 8 or whatever the next like, I mean, there's a huge difference right <laughs> yeah so course, yeah. yeah so i think all fighting games at this point are probably quite complicated hmm. good answer we've got probably the most important question from mike reese uh <laughs> 
without everyone's dying to know Eric yeah. and everyone's on the edge of their seats because they don't they want to know Mike's yeah. a lovely person by the way friend on Facebook yeah. sorry about 99.9% of our listeners but he wants to know who's cooler him or or myself Adrian <laughs> well, I've answered on Facebook but I do have a caveat to that so yeah. we all know obviously I mean most people are cooler than you no offense yeah, they are I'm pretty I'm however <laughs> however he is far grumpier than you are <laughs> So, yeah. you know, there's a little bit of this and that, you know, I mean, cooler, but I'd rather be with the less cool, pleasant guy than the guy who's going to be pissed off because, you know, uh, football teams, you know, having a crappy game. Yeah, he doesn't support oh. a particularly good football team. Sorry, <laughs> uh, I've, seen, when, I've seen Adrian Grumpy, to be fair. <laughs> it's, yeah, it does happen. It doesn't happen very often, but when it does, oh boy. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I think, Eric, if, you, if you're happy, I think James got a quick, couple of questions no then we'll sort of wrap things up it's been such a great chat and i know that james uh, is that yeah 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 sure i mean it was literally just a couple that i kind of um ha- i've had for some time actually um i think you touched on it a little bit earlier but when you're designing a game and you're kind of working with an audio department like doing the music or doing the, the, the soundtrack and doing the the, the sound effects etc is it a case that you guys you know work kind of collaboratively or is it like them and us like you're in that room we're in that room and they kind of have to kind of guess you have to guess like how kind of close knit is the kind of graphics and logistics and gameplay side of it to the audio side of it yeah so it it does depend uh i've you know because a lot of the times now especially you're gonna have um a art a music or sound effects outsource contractor right okay somebody that's worked with the company a lot but they're generally not local um and then you're you know you're then collaborating with them over emails or meetings Mm. um when i was at uh sega um you know they're they had like sega soft they had their uh uh, dupree uh who did i believe both uh genesis and sega cd super awesome guy um, he was very close to everyone's proximity. We would give feedback, but it was more like we would give him some direction, like, oh, make, you know, make a blast background sound like kind of like 60s um, uh, Apocalypse Now kind of vibe with like Jimi Hendrix. And he'd be like, okay, got it. And you come back with <laughs> boom, right? Um, and, but then you also like recently, for example, um, the game that Adrian's in kind of, um, where he has the, uh, Adrian Arcade, the, uh, the, 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 <laughs> yeah, so the, he's kind of, uh, I can't talk too much about it because there's a bit of an NDA kind of thing going on. Mm-hmm. But um, essentially, um, the, that game, they have an outsourced um, music group. And uh, as my role kind of expands a lot of areas, they kind of put on me to kind of be the, go, the go to guy. And so yeah. I gave some examples. I said, because the game is basically a combination of, I'm going to probably mention movies that either you or other people haven't heard, but I'm going to mention them anyway. Mm-hmm. Fast Times at Ridgemont High um, yeah. with um, a little bit of um, uh, Breakfast Club yeah. with mm-hmm. um, a little bit of Hawaii Five-0. Mm-hmm. And because because it, it has to do with pot smoking goofballs in the 80s in Hawaii. Basically the, <laughs> nice. That, that's the theme. <laughs> All the games we're working on are, are pot-based, which is hilarious. But, um, but the guy, I sent him some music and said kind of like this an intro like that but only can be this long and also because it's a mobile game and it's going to loop every like minute and a half or two minutes max 
it needs to a be varied enough. You don't feel like you're listening to the same song and then segue from beginning to end to beginning to end because it can't just like be the end of the song and then it just starts up again because that's like torture, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, And then, so in that case, it was just, he would send stuff. I would work and get feedback from the exec team and other people. And then we'd go back and forth. So it really varies. Um, uh, just just yeah. fascinates me. Yeah. It, yeah. it just fascinates me how, how like, cause you would imagine that both departments would have to be in each other's pockets, but actually I've heard, um, I spoke to, uh, interview Kevin Ripples uh, a couple of months ago, um, who did the Gears of War soundtrack and among a lot of other things. And, and he kind of said the same thing, you know, he would get like a piece of paper on his desk and say, right, we need a bit of this, a bit of that. And it needs to sound like this. And it's like, yeah. you guys working together, you've got to have some kind of crazy link yeah. Because you know the, yeah. the results on some of these games, you just think, how on earth did they manage to? to so kind of. So you spoke to earlier, which was um, learning how to speak to the different disciplines, right? And so mm-hmm. knowing how to communicate and what to say, you know, because I've, I, I still remember, and I've had many times when there'd be executives who jump in on the creative part, and you know, for example, working on a remaster of a very popular pogo game and he walks in and says yeah i'm gonna do it i'm gonna see less brown and more green like okay thanks genius right like uh you know so you want to be able to inspire the artist to things that are really important that and also some specifics um but what i do here though is i want to um since we have time i'm mean, just gonna be the very end here is um i want to play for you the music <laughs> That we're talking yes. about for this game. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, we, Do don't know, we don't know what the game is yet because I'm not allowed to say what it is. But you've got um, music. But I can still play the music. And Yes, exclusive. If my boss finds out about it and he fires me, it was worth it. It was worth it. <laughs> You're the boss. There you go. There you go. Let me know if you can hear it okay. Wait for it. Just enough of a jam. It's yeah. Not, it's not like crazy, like because you get you get annoyed, right? So um, I get the pot oh, smoking though. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because there's all these dynamics. It's a mobile game. They're gonna play it for hours. They're gonna keep coming back to it. Many people play sound off. Yes, I know that. But um, it's it feels thematic. It feels a little bit. Rock and roll, which is also part of the theme. It's 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 rock and roll, pot, and uh, amazing. It sounds great. Yeah, so that's basically it. So, yeah, so it's it's a fun process, and it's, it's so many things that you guys could discern. You've mentioned it a few times, James. Really, it's just a matter of like putting those into words and context, and it's going, oh, okay, yeah. What's the audience? Uh, what are the technical, uh, you know, limitations? How do we maximize it? All those things and tying it all together. Um, amazing yeah so it's a it's a fun process making games man it's um i feel blessed 100 percent, especially because uh at 55 with my uh kickboxing gym like i have arthritis and i have like my back hurts and everything i'm i'm glad my brain still works and so i could be creative and make games right and so um i'm really thankful for this whole process it's it's awesome and and talking to people who played the games you know oh i love playing this game that you know I've had people walk up to me when I worked a gazillion 
uh, this one tester who's a friend of mine now, but she walked up and said, oh, yeah, I heard you worked on Toronto Champion CD. So, yeah, she oh, that's one of my favorite games. This is really oh, cool right. just to yeah. get those things, right? Um, she, so and then good. she said, sir. I'm like, damn, I'm old. <laughs> so, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's awesome. And, uh, and I appreciate coming on again. I love you guys, and uh, it's so fun. And it's so fun to see you guys with all these crazy interviews, like, Geez, you got him. You got him. You got him. <laughs> you know. Oh, that's Thank that's a, Adrian's the Adrian's yeah. the interview maestro. Yeah, can't take any credit for that. No, but, well, yeah. you know, I really appreciate it. And, and hearing these stories, like you mentioned earlier, uh, people can listen back in 10, 20 years late in time, and it's it's about um, sharing these memories, isn't it? Because video games, they they deserve that pinnacle in my eyes. I think yeah. it's, it's a massive, you know, piece of art, really, isn't it? You know, it's yeah. a huge industry. Do you mind? This is minor, as you guys probably know through Facebook. I'm not making any money off this, but if I could plug uh, my yeah, yeah. Form, is that fine? Yeah, plug, plug away. Go for it. Cool. So, um, something that I've been doing for a couple of years because of the pandemic initially is uh, I play in a live uh, Dungeons Dragons uh, Twitch stream. Um, yeah. it's currently every Sunday, um, but these are all recorded and UK times different, whatever. Um, but it's uh, called Dress to Quest is the name of our show. We do full cosplay, as especially James knows. We have the full outfit. Um, so good. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. And I play with my daughter. She's uh, almost 22. She plays a badass elf ranger with her bow and literally has a bow. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. We screw around, but we also get serious. And we have uh, really great stories and awesome uh, kind of combat for people that are into Dungeons & Dragons. Um, it's on Gen Con TV. Um, and again, it's dressed to quest. You could just probably Google it. We have a Facebook group. Um, again, yeah. not making money off this, but it's a fun hobby and we do like to share it with people. Gen Con is a really big, uh, convention for Dungeons and Dragons. It's actually probably the biggest. It's been around since the early seventies. Uh, and then this is our Twitch, um, kind of arm and, uh, we're the number two show out of 11 shows. Wow. So nice. I, I, you know, our, 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 mo- our kind of monikers, we don't suck. <laughs> so, um, is that who do better better marketing but uh yeah so any of your viewers we would love to have you uh look us up on youtube we'll put a link uh, eric we'll yeah. put a link in the show notes so the people can click in there i remember to well, do what that we'll, what we'll also do is we'll um i'll uh on my journey through the socials i'll um i'll put uh, i'll put that out on our um instagram and uh twitter pages as well so because cool. um, any i mean i know there's a lot of D fans out there. there's a lot yep. of people and um and I, I know I know there was a lot of uh, interest kind of rekindled as well with people yeah. who watch Stranger Things because of yes. the uh, you know that really kind of brought it brought it kind of the, the fire burning back for a lot of people that may not have played it for some time but there's a lot of fans out there so yeah. if you want to watch uh, to use Eric's words a badass uh, Dungeons <laughs> and Dragons show yeah check it out but I'll I'll um yeah I'll put that out on the socials but yeah great no, no, please any any D and D fans check it out hundred percent because yeah great thanks and also my only fans just kidding. <laughs> just fledgling fledgling right now isn't it <laughs> yeah. cool. right. Right, what what a pleasure thank you so much for your time again today i know i know our listeners and viewers are going to love this but really is an honor again to have you on the amazing show. stories merry yeah. christmas merry christmas and happy hanukkah and everything that you guys celebrate um but james adrian i'm so glad i know you guys it's been an absolute joy to go through this process oh, thank you. you so much as well pleasure right. and privilege see you later thanks guys bye-bye Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. You can tweet us at Arcade Attack UK. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Arcade Attack UK. 
Check out our website at arcadeattack.co.uk for lots more retro gaming goodness and to delve into our archives. Our podcasts are also available on Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, YouTube and Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review and a rating, we'd really appreciate it. If you'd like to support Arcade Attack, please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash arcadeattack, which will give you access to exclusive podcasts, interviews and other bonus content. So, until next time, take care and we'll speak to you soon.